Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And joining us from Brisbane, Australia, we have the radio futurologist himself, the editor of Pod News, James Cridland. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be on. I'm a long-time listener, first-time guest. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks for dialing in. You know, I, I want to have you on for a while, and, and so I've been recalcitrant until just now, because you have a great perspective, James, on global radio. You are a featured speaker and commentator at conferences really around the globe on all issues having to do with radio. You worked early on yeah, in I internet radio. <laughs> Yeah, right. You used to be, but it'll it'll happen again. <laughs> you know, you you worked early on in, in the transition to internet radio. You you consulted with uh, the BBC uh, for the launch of, of Radio Player and iPlayer. And here in the U.S., often, and I'm guilty of it, we can be very narrow in our view of of what radio is and what radio is like and sounds like and how it operates. And I thought it would be fun for us to kind of uh, broaden our perspective with you. You know, you're based in Australia and you have experience in the UK. And so I thought maybe first you could tell us some things maybe about either of those countries in the radio scene that you think maybe someone who loves radio in, in, in America should know. Like, what are some really big differences, things that would make someone go, oh, I mean, that you can do radio differently there? <laughs> well, wow. I mean, uh, there is there is so much uh, to unpack there. But I think, you know, one one of the main differences that I see between radio in the US and radio elsewhere is that radio in most European countries uh, here in Australia as well, which might as well be a European country. Um, we, uh, we, we are very much more multi-platform. So radio isn't just on AM, FM. Radio really focuses on all of the other platforms. Um, there's a broadcast radio standard called DAB, which is in most of Europe and in, uh, and in Australia, that has um, 30 or 40% of the total hours spent listening to radio. So that's already pretty big. Then, of course, you've got the internet. You've got radio through the TV, which is a big thing as well. Um, as well as uh, as well as AM FM uh, radio or mostly FM radio these days, so you know the one of the really big differences, and I think that radio certainly in Europe understood this uh, very early on, uh, is that uh, radio isn't just uh, AM FM. Radio is you know something else which is on lots of other devices and on lots of other platforms, and it's making the best of those uh, additional platforms is something that you know really European radio and certainly UK radio has done for a long long time now radio on TV this is mm. actually well we have a phenomenon sort of like that here in the United States but I suspect what you have in, in Australia or Europe is is more sophisticated Can you tell us more about well, that there's a couple of different ways. So radio on the TV um, for a long time was as big as radio over the internet at about 7% of total hours. So, you know, it's still pretty small. Radio over the uh, over the internet is still pretty uh, small in actual fact. But it typically, so in the UK, for example, and you can tell I'm from the UK because I've got this ridiculous accent, 
Um, but in the UK, there are somewhere like 30 or 40 different radio stations just on the TV as additional channels on there. And you get a logo, you get a little bit of information about what that radio station is, and the audio, of course. And what you tend to find is quite a lot of, um, you know, particularly bars during the day, for example, they won't be showing sport, they'll be showing their favourite radio station, um, you know, on there, because it's just a great way of picking up a radio station. Um as you can get that sort of thing in other countries they've gone a little bit a little bit further um, one of the things that i used to bang on about 10 or so years ago was why is it that we're loading our playout systems with audio when we can do we might as well load them with video as well um, so there are radio stations uh, RTL 102.5 which is a radio station in Lombardy in uh, Italy that is a radio station which has its own satellite TV channel uh, it's a full video uh, channel um, when it plays jingles you see animations of the, of the radio station logo when it plays songs you see the video um, mm. when, you, uh, when it does news you actually get you know clips of uh, the video as well as the audio um, so there's some very clever things that um, you know either RTL 102.5 or there's a radio station in the Netherlands called Radio 538 and that uh, you can uh, you can watch online which again is doing the same sort of thing so they've really focused on taking a radio studio and um, making that fit for TV, so having uh, having auto cue, you know, having cameras that you look into, um, getting the camera lines right, getting the lighting right, you know, all of that stuff. And when they play songs, you watch the video if you happen to be watching on the app, if you happen to be watching online. So really clever ideas, and I'm sure that you know, and I know that there are U US uh, stations doing that uh, too. But that certainly ramped up particularly strongly in uh, quite a lot of Europe and in. In the UK as well. So I'm curious, so if you're flipping through your television dial mm. or, or using your remote control, what do these radio stations look like? Um, because in the US, say, if you have cable or if you have satellite TV, there might be radio stations, but they're often sort of in these higher numbers all clustered yeah. together. Mm. Uh, is it different is it different in the UK or in Australia? Are these radio stations interspersed with with the traditional TV stations? So in the UK, they're all uh, bunched together. So if you want to listen to the radio, you know where they are, and you go and find them there. Um, here in Australia, actually, weirdly, they're not bunched together because of the weird way that we run our TV here. So if you are flicking up and down the dial, you get to flick through uh, a bunch of um, ABC uh, channels, which is the the... the public service uh, radio station uh, here. You you get to flick through a bunch of those. You get to flick through a bunch of uh, SBS channels on there as well. So there's, um, you know, there's, there's uh, different ways of doing things. But I mean, I think from a consumption point of view, you know, radio is typically not listened to in your living room. Um, that's not where radio has been particularly strong. Radio um, at home listening is quite strong for radio, but that's typically in the kitchen, that's typically in the bedroom, in the bathroom, not really in your front room. And so what's the, what that's essentially that's doing is it's doing... I'm thinking it, about that historically, because historically yeah. the radio would have been in the living room. And, so, yeah, so and I mean, you know, a long, long time ago, we James would have Bridland, sat, sat James around. When you, James Gridland, when you're saying it's not listened to in the living room, you're referring to uh, those countries that, that you're describing, that Europe and, and uh, Australia. 
essentially are, are listening to radio in other rooms. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that uh, I'm saying that typically in your front room and the US as well, in your front okay. room, you will be watching the TV. You won't be listening to the radio. And m- most households don't have a radio in their front room. So actually, there's no way of listening to it anyway. Um, by the way, we are not normal. Um, so we will all have radios in our front room. Um, but um, but the vast majority of folk out there won't. So I think that that's, that that's one interesting thing, because what that does is that firstly, it puts that radio station's content into a new room that uh, currently didn't have it. But also, secondly, acts as a really good teaser, a really good trial mechanism for you to go, oh, this is a, a radio station I've never heard of before. This is a really good radio station. I should check this out when I get into the car i should check this out in the kitchen you know blah 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 Um, right because that's a main that's a main difference i think between the channels that jennifer was just referring to in the united states that are on cable is those are uh those are only on cable those are not available once you get into your car yeah yeah yeah. so that's a that's a huge difference there with the with the kinds of radio stations you're describing some are though europe some are there there, there's a mix that you might have some that are you know, like these syndicated channels on your TV, but uh, say in the San Francisco Bay Area, we also have some local radio stations on the TV. Yeah. And I think, by the way, that that is one of the most fundamental things in that most European countries have so many national radio stations and the amount of local radio stations and we can dive into the rabbit hole of what's happened to local radio in the UK but most local radio stations you know don't have that many people tuning into them anymore it's national either national radio stations or national brands so you know and 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 bear in mind that the UK is what 65 million people but it's tiny I mean it's no it's it's not it's not as big as any American state you know so it's um you know it's a it's a tiny, tiny place. So therefore, actually, national radio works far better in many countries. Um, and therefore, that works far better on these national platforms like a TV service, like, um, you know, all of that kind of uh, stuff. So actually, you know, you, you've got that sort of side of it as well, which again is very uh, different but um but yeah so that you you know so radio through the tv certainly works really well and of course when you're listening to radio on the on those sorts of platforms or on your smart speaker or on your dab radio you're not tuning in with a random number you're tuning in with a name you're tuning in with the name of the radio station and that makes it really easy to get your radio station onto other platforms because you're not having to educate people on lots of weird and wonderful numbers um, you're having to educate them on the name of the radio station, which also typically is what people tick in their radio research so that you can work out what station you're actually playing. So, um, you know, so that's a real benefit, I think, of uh, having the uh, having the, the sort of the multi-platformness of radio that we have in m- many of the European countries and, of course, here in Australia. And when you talk about them being on television, and this is principally over satellite or cable, are they actually on any any broadcast television frequency? Yeah, um, TV works much the same in most countries in that you have a multiplex, and that multiplex might have, uh, in the US, might have three or four TV 
channels on it in parts of Europe might have 10 or 15 TV channels on it and radio is also squeezed into that mm-hmm. to that uh, space as well yeah I think the difference is that um, quite a lot of the European uh, services have graphics on there as well so you've got now playing information you know what songs playing you know you can see a radio station logo which is more and more important in this world of visual as well as audio um, you can in some cases you know go diving through more information uh, you know using your 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 remote control as mm. you listen so you can do a bunch of that sort of additional stuff and I think that was one of the hardest things you know when I was working at Virgin Radio in London the 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 original Virgin Radio one of the hardest things was actually augmenting the experience that you would get on the radio of somebody playing you songs, augmenting that experience on all of our other platforms. You know, the technology of actually knowing when somebody started playing a CD, as it was back then, uh, of our systems knowing what song was on, because people never used to follow the the uh, the, the music logs. So mm-hmm. uh, f- knowing what song was on, being able to grab some trivia to put on the screens of these things, being able to grab a picture of the band, being able to band all, all, all of this kind of uh, stuff, the amount of additional metadata that you all of a sudden need to make a really nice engaging experience all, all of a sudden really increases and that's quite a hard thing james cridland uh the reason we're talking about tv on the radio in europe and the uk is because paul asked you a question about the difference between the united states and and the radio you're more familiar with and you you launched yeah. into this uh we got down this rabbit hole because you were telling us that listeners in the united states have a different attitude towards their radio stations because of this main difference uh including uh, that TV's on the radio there in Europe. Was, or radio's right? on the TV there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my point isn't necessarily around radio being on the TV. My point is that radio is on lots of different devices. Um, uh, and, you know, so the amount of FM AM listening, for example, in the UK is less than 50% mm. to radio as a whole. And some people put their hands up in horror and go, oh, no, you know, that, that's, not, uh, that, that's not what radio is all about. And, and in the same way, some people uh, 10 years ago working for local newspapers were putting up their hands and saying, oh, no, we exist to run a printing press. Guess what? You don't exist to run a printing press. You exist to run a newsroom. Or if you're a radio station, you exist to run a great radio station where your content is available to people in as many different platforms as possible. And so I think that's probably the difference in in sort of thinking there. Um of course, you know, the UK, AM, FM radio, around 50% of all radio listening. Uh, uh, Australia, it's, a, it's, it's around uh, 60% uh, in the capital cities. Um, so again, you know, lots of additional platforms. In Norway, of course, uh, there is no AM or FM radio. Um, and uh, Switzerland is going to be turning uh, FM off relatively soon as well. So it'll be very interesting seeing what happens there. But there's quite a lot of, quite a lot of change in how people do end up uh, listening to the radio and the platforms that they are enjoying radio on. I have to say, you know, I, I uh, in my house here, I don't have a single broadcast r- uh, radio receiver uh, really? anymore. Uh, it, it is all smart, smart uh, speakers because, you know, they work just as well. Why, why would I want an AM, FM radio? Does every station you'd want to listen to or every station in, in Brisbane, is it available online? Is that pretty yep. universal? Yeah, so every single every single station is available online, and maybe that's another one of the big differences is that 
uh, the ratings uh, work differently in the US and for some stations uh, online doesn't count and for some stations online does and the whole commercial um, commercial voiceover agreement which meant that you couldn't put over-the-air commercials onto your uh, streaming uh, service. None of that stuff happens in Europe. Um, and what we were very lucky about is that when we were doing the music li- licensing agreements with the record companies, um, they understood that radio is a multi-platform thing. And they understood that if it is a simulcast of a licensed service, then that simulcast is treated in exactly the same way. So if it's uh, if it's online, you don't pay any more. If it's on um, if it's on satellite um, uh, TV, you don't pay any more. If it's on you know a smart speaker, you don't pay any more. And that's a very enlightened uh, view by most of the music collection agencies. Um, and that's really been part of the reason why why I think radio is as multi-platform as it is. Uh, here, because we haven't had those legal, you know, issues with um, uh, having to pay more for an online stream or having to strip the ads out and replace the ads with, you know, Smoky Bear commercials. Which is how radio works in the United States. If you want yeah. to drift to another platform, all of a sudden you have to um, you have to involve a lot of lawyers to figure out how yeah. to pay for that platform. Yeah. So, yeah. Jay, I mean, and- it was interesting for me to hear you say that uh, all the stations you listen to are also available online. I'm thinking about some obscure, smaller scale terrestrial radio stations in the United States that do not have online streams. I'm thinking about pirate radio that might only be on AM or FM. I'm mm. thinking about low power FM radio stations in the U.S., some of which don't have online streams. And also in the United States, we have you can be an unlicensed, very, very low power broadcaster and and some of yeah. those folks don't have online streams are those are there those categories in australia too are there other stations that you might actually be missing um uh, so i mean there will be some small community radio stations out in the bush that aren't currently broadcasting online but um uh but but i mean you know it's it's likely to be that of that of that size now pirate radio is really interesting pirate radio is massive in london um in the uk for obvious reasons um and one of the things about pirate radio in london is that they use the internet to skirt round the law um so they broadcast on the internet first and foremost that's what they claim that they're an internet radio station and then a fan of theirs a fan of theirs just puts up a a uh, big high power FM transmitter on the top of a tower block in We've in heard East this London. in the US too as yeah. a rationale. Yeah. It's, it's just a fan of theirs. It's clever. nothing to do with us. <laughs> and <laughs> and James James Gridland, you said that uh pirate radio in the UK in London is popular for obvious reasons, but uh for, for, yes, for I know. people that aren't sorry pe- sorry no, okay. for the for people that Sorry aren't super for the fans. not obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people that aren't super fans of Radio Survivor, can you right. describe some of those obvious reasons? <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry for saying that they were obvious reasons and not actually giving the obvious reasons. I mean, you know, London is such a melting pot of different cultures, of different experiences, of different people, um, that actually the uh, the low amount of licensed stations there, and it's, um, you know, far smaller amount of licensed stations on, on FM, certainly, than you would expect, um, doesn't really uh, cover all of 
the the um all of the area all of the community all of the the different people so um you know so london has has always had a um a uh inverted commas problem with uh, a bunch of pirate uh, of pirate radio stations i i suspect that nobody really minds about them if they don't interfere with anybody else um and uh you know uh, sometimes over over weekends it can be quite hard to hear the licensed radio stations uh when you've got the pirate stations booming over the top of them um but uh yeah so there's a the re- there really is a bunch of of that going on and i think it's uh, individual n- neighborhoods individual um you know individual communities wanting their own voice on the air having said that that's the world of fm radio um, of course, we have an infinite dial in terms of internet radio, but even on DAB, which is still broadcast radio, even on a DAB set, uh, in London there are 130 licensed radio stations. And so um, this and is digital radio through DAB, the dial. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's radio through an antenna, um, you know, so it's, it's radio just, just the same. It's like, it's like HD radio, but better. Yes, much um, better. And, and it basically, um, yeah, and so there are 100 and, 130 different radio stations available there, a lot of national, a lot of local. Um, and, that, and that, again, is really interesting because that has opened up um, – the the uh, the airwaves um, to new uh, to you know again new music new uh, conversation that you would never have had uh, ten years ago just using AM and FM um, you know so there's an awful lot of choice now if you've just got you know a, a forty dollar you know DAB set yeah and that's that's in the UK again right that's where we're talking about this and new- that's and that's in the UK, but um, you know, here here in Brisbane, for example, um, we've got about twenty five radio stations licensed for the Brisbane area. Um, once you get a DAB Plus radio, uh, it's called DAB Plus here because it's better. But once you get a DAB Plus radio, then you uh, get around sixty or seventy different uh, stations on there. Wow! And there are some, and there are some really interesting, clever programming ideas on some of those uh, on some of those uh, stations as well um so uh we have a big supermarket chain called coles uh here in australia there's coles which is i guess the walmart of of australia they have an in-store radio station their in-store radio station is run by one of the radio groups here and their in-store radio station is also broadcast on dab and guess what it is the number one radio station that's a DAB exclusive station in Australia. Wow. Um, because people like the music? Because uh, I, I suspect because people like the music, I suspect it's probably a function of how radio research works as well uh, in terms of, people you know, recognize quite a lot of the people name. go to Coles. <laughs> yeah, quite a lot of people go to Coles yeah. and they'll tick the box. Um, but, you know, people like the music it's relatively unoffensive um you know my wife has it on in the shower um and uh, you know every so often when i get in there i'm i'm listening to you know the price of the price of apples or something i was i was going to ask is that do they broadcast you know specials you know because uh, certainly you know in in the uh in the 70s and the 80s uh the chain mm. kmart in the united states uh, yeah. had kmart radio which was actually delivered to the stores on on cassettes 
but, you know, yeah. uh, and, and which are now some some of them floating about on the eBay and used market. You can oh, yeah, find there, recordings there are on collectors YouTube. Collectors who think who are really yes. into the Kmart as well cassettes. as available, <laughs> I believe, on the internet archive. Right, and and, and, wow. and and they had something you know uh, at the time called the blue light special when they actually rolled out a blue light, a blue flashing light, like uh, like you might find on a police car, uh, into <laughs> yes. a particular place in the store that you could go get, you know, this very momentary special, which might be heard, might have been heard on these tapes. So I was wondering if nice. I'm going to hear about a, a special on, on, on Kiwis or on uh, Prime Rib uh, <laughs> over the air on Cole's supermarket radio. You, you do. You do hear specials. Um, uh, you do hear specials on there, but they are specials. Um, uh, there's a there's a state version of 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 each. Um, there's a state version of Coles Radio for each state. So mm-hmm. Queensland has Coles Coles Radio Queensland, and New South Wales has Coles Radio New South Wales. Um, and the reason for that is that different um, uh, different things cost different prices well, in course. in each uh, state. Um, but uh, so you, but you, you know, the ads still have ads for specific things that you can go and buy in the chiller cabinet and all this kind of stuff. Um, there are there's a radio jock on there, um, and she does um, afternoons between uh, I think between three and five, which is their peak time. Um, and she also does Saturday and Sunday mornings. She may be voice tracked. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so, you know, keeping people, um, keeping people entertained, um, there's a similar station in the UK called Asda FM, which is again run by, um, run for a, uh, a, a supermarket there, uh, Asda, which is now part of, part of Walmart actually. And Asda FM by some, uh, figures is the largest radio station in the UK, uh, in terms of Cume, because it would be, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> And what it does is the music that it plays, Coles Radio is a bit different, but the music that Azure FM plays is music um, for the specific audience at that time. So typically, if you go into a supermarket at 10 o'clock in the morning, you will have much older people um, mm. doing their weekly shop back when we could go to the supermarket. Um, you'd have much older people doing their weekly shop. Um, you'd have, you know, parents with their kids after three o'clock in the afternoon after school's finished you know you would have different people and what they would also do after about 10 or 11 o'clock at night they would play really loud edm (laughs) to keep people awake and keep all of the the shelf stackers going uh, I just thought it's such a brilliant idea, such wow. a really clever idea and the fact that you know Coles radio is available here on on your DAB radio there's chemist warehouse remix which is for a uh, a pharmacy <laughs> called chemist warehouse uh, here as well um, you know really clever ideas of using additional uh, of using the additional bandwidth that radio broadcasters have on there. Um, and there's no reason why you couldn't do the same sort of thing if you wanted to on, you know, on HD2 or HD3 uh, three, uh, channels, and I'm sure that many people are somewhere. James Cridlin, you're speaking to us from Brisbane, Australia. We're talking about sort of global radio here, and you're just telling us about uh, supermarket radio stations in the UK and Australia, uh, as heard on DAB Digital Radio, which is a standard we, we simply don't have in North America. And and I wonder, uh, can we hear any of these supermarket stations on the internet? Can yes, you can online? hear Coles Radio. Um uh, and I believe Asda FM as well, although you may have to go... I, I'm, fa- I'm not sure that Asda FM is called Asda FM anymore because FM is so old-fashioned. Oh. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, so you can definitely hear Coles, 
Cole's Radio Online. Yes, if you're if you're a a real fan of that. I, I, I definitely would like to like to sample it. And, you know, earlier yeah. in our conversation, you know, you also mentioned how, you know, in places like the UK, Australia and Europe, um, local radio, especially local broadcast radio, seems to have taken a backseat as a less prominent role. And it seems as though people are, are listening more to, to national programming. Um Maybe we could you could talk a little bit more about why why is that why why is that the case? You said in, in the UK and it's partly geographic, uh, and it being at least geographically mm. not a very large country, even though you know sixty some million people happen to live there. Is that the, the primary thing? Why would local radio be, be less popular or, or be declining in in in, uh, in popularity? Well, I think there's a there's a few things there. Um, there's a question mark over whether it's declining in popularity, but certainly in terms of the amount of radio that is made, a lot a lot more of it is national. And there are two things there. There's national national radio stations, so a radio station which is properly live nationally. Um, the BBC runs a lot of those uh, and does quite successfully out of that. The BBC has about a 50% market share in the UK. No BBC radio stations carry any advertising. Uh, so you can uh, imagine how difficult it is for a commercial station to be involved in that sort of uh, market, but the commercial stations do very well as well. Um, so you've got national radio stations like like that, um, but then you have national brands as well. Um, so instead of having a radio station in Nottingham called Radio Trent, and then a radio station in, um, you know, in uh, Bristol called GWRFM, and then another radio station in Cardiff called Red Dragon, all of those radio stations are called Capital or Heart. Uh, and some of them, uh, and they take um, some national programming, um, but they also have local information in them as well. So local news and local traffic and travel and local advertising, of course. They have some local programming, um, you know, as well, but a lot of their output is national. And the benefit of having a national brand is that you can obviously advertise that national brand nationally. You can advertise the national uh, radio personalities nationally and people know where those radio personalities are on jamie theakston and amanda holden do the heart breakfast show um and you know because you can see the ads on national tv you can see the ads in the national press that jamie theakston and amanda holden are on heart you can't say the same thing for ryan seacrest where's ryan seacrest on what radio station will i tune into you know car talk on or wait wait don't don't tell me. It's a different brand. It's a different named radio station uh, everywhere across America. Um, but in the UK, all of the heritage radio station names have all gone and been replaced by national brands. Uh, and that's made life very much easier to advertise, to market them, very much easier for advertisers as well to understand what these radio stations are all about as well. Um, you know, a, a radio station uh, called KISS, you know what that does. It's available in all of these different places, but it's the same radio station. It might have some local shows on there, but it's a very um, explainable, understandable thing for radio uh, buyers to understand as well. Um, so really, we're, we're seeing um, 
far less of the small local radio stations, they still exist, but we're seeing far less of the small local radio stations with small local brands and much more of national, either national radio stations or national branded radio stations um, so that people understand what those stations are all about and so that the national advertising actually works on a local level, which is a really helpful thing. You know, I but think- isn't, isn't there a trade-off? Don't, don't we lose some of the excitement around like local radio being uh, weird and different? Um, I, I think that there's a bit of a trade-off, um, but uh, the way that some of these operators have done it is that they have been very clever with the way that they network. So it's not just networking in the same way that, you know, you you've, you turn a fader up and there's Rush Limbaugh and Rush talks, talks at you for a number of hours uh, and then you pull the fader down again. Um, what what happens on these radio stations is that you uh, you you normally put the entire show together using just in time networking, just in time voice tracking. So I am playing a song. I'm going to voice track my next presenter break, and then that voice track goes on all of the radio stations which are taking this particular show. But I might want to go, well, actually, in Yorkshire, there's a power cut at the moment. It, it, for, for Hart Yorkshire, there's a big power cut and 20,000 um, households are currently without power. I probably want to say something about that on a local radio station. And so what they can do with their just-in-time voice tracking is that, is that they can go, this voice track goes to every radio station apart from Yorkshire, and I'm going to record something different for them. And it still sounds live because, frankly, it is. If if you're recording just in time, it's 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 just the same as live. It's a bit more polished than actual live radio. But what it does mean is that you can still do the local stuff that you need to. You can still do the local information that you want to. Um, but what you get is a is a consistent brand, a consistent uh, level of of you know uh, of of sound you know across all of the stations. Yeah. I wonder, though, you know, just sort of tagging on to, to Eric's point, you know, mm. in the U.S., you know, the, the, the consolidation of, of radio has been also seen as part of its downfall in, in, in the U.S. Uh, and and yeah. there are, of course, there are economic reasons, I think political economic reasons um, mm. that, that we don't have to get into. But in terms of programming, you know, a common argument is, is what happened is the localness went away. And the connection that people felt to their local stations, the ability to, to make a request, the ability to might maybe hear you know one or two local artists who are who are on the rise right. or to have regional hits, yeah. um, and commercial radio went away, um, as well as some of that local service, the idea that you might hear about a power outage or an emergency um, happening because there was somebody who was alive at the controls, able to to do it yeah. in that sort of way, and. You know, so as much it's, I'm sure for a lot of folks hearing hearing the UK situation, it probably does. They go, "Oh, that seems sort of dystopic compared to what we we think of radio here in the US." Um, why would that? Why would it not be? <laughs> you sort of gave some of the benefits there, but so what? What would be? What are sort of the advantages or differences of that UK system compared to you know the creeping national presence of 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 a Ryan Seacrest, a a, a Rush Limbaugh, etc. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I mean, I think I think there is a. Um I think there is a belief in uh, U.S. radio, particularly, that the only form of radio that is the successful form of radio that we know works is live and local. 
And those are two words which I genuinely do not believe mm. make great radio. And I'd like to just unpack that. The, if you're playing a great song by the Doobie Brothers and you back announce that great song by the Doobie Brothers and then you go into a nice song by the, by the Beatles, it does not matter whether you are on top of the pizza shop in town or whether you're 400 miles away. It genuinely does not matter. Um, so local, local for the majority of things matters rather less than relevance relevance is is the thing that really matters what am what am i saying that's relevant to my audience and relevant to my audience might be what's going on in the car park in town you know what's that big crane there for does anybody know what 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 are they doing there that might be relevant but also might be relevant is you know you'll never believe who's on who's on the voice next week um or you know talking about all kinds of stuff relevancy isn't just based on localness um so relevancy is part of that and also just uh, you know um i i also talk a lot about being real, being real human beings. Um, and live and local has no real basis in terms of, uh, you know, uh, just that human connection that radio is there for. It's a human connection and a shared experience. And so actually, live and local, yes, it's one way of getting that human connection and that shared experience. It's one way of getting that, but there are many other ways of getting that too. So if, if the future of radio is uh, live and local well that's part of where the future of radio is but let but let's be honest the future of radio is real and relevant if you've got real human beings talking about relevant things to the audience it doesn't matter where they are it doesn't matter whether they're live or just in time voice tracked or voice tracked last week i mean no, you know very few tv that we watch is live um you know so there's a bunch of that sort of there's a bunch of that sort of change of thinking that I think new technology really helps you with. So on on Radio Survivor, James Cridlin, we, we've been talking a lot over the years about the growth of low power FM in the United States mm. and, and hyper local community radio in particular. So I'm I'm curious about that in Australia and the UK. Do you have do you have that side of things going on as well as some of these more national types of stations? And I think you've been talking yeah, mostly absolutely. about commercial radio, so I'm curious about what things are like on the non-commercial end of things. Yeah, so absolutely. So um I mean, so to cover off the non-commercial sort of side first, really the only non-commercial um, uh, uh, stations uh, that exist either in the UK or, or in Australia are funded by uh, government, so the BBC um, and, um, the, and the ABC. Um, uh, th those are really the only, the only sort of um, uh, non-commercial equivalents, and they're properly non-commercial. They don't have sponsor credits in them. They're properly non-commercial. Um, so that's one thing. Thing. But you also have an awful lot of community stations, and by the way, some of the community stations are not are not for profit, but most of them, you know, do try and earn some money in terms of advertising as well. Um, the way that community radio has worked in the UK um, has been they are all very low power FMs, 
um, like properly low power, not these high power FMs that you call low power laughingly in the US. These are, you know, 100 watts or, or, or even smaller. So, um, you know, and, and the, the difficulty I think with community radio in the UK has been that they are probably too small to really work. And I think uh, they've found it very difficult. Community radio is fairly young in the UK, and they found it relatively difficult to get that uh, working uh, too well. Um, community radio in Australia is quite interesting. So Australia is actually the oldest, um, one of the oldest uh, commercial radio uh, markets in the world. Um, and community radio came in in the uh, 1970s, 1980s. Um, and the way that community radio works is that they are um, as high-powered as uh, any of the big commercial stations. Um, there's uh, radio areas that we all broadcast to here, and the, com- and the community stations can broadcast to exactly the same um, geographical areas as the, uh, as the big commercials can. Um, so very different to the way that uh, it works in the UK. They're also licensed by format. Um, so there's a particular radio uh, community radio license here in Brisbane for alternative music. Mm. There's a particular one for um, reading services, um, so reading out uh, stuff for the visually handicapped. Um, there's um, a particular uh, license for youth uh, programming Um which is on AM, so you can guess how well that's working. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a bunch of these, and, and for ethnic broadcasters, for for, uh, for indigenous broadcasters, how many different uh, categories for religion as well? Yeah, how many different categories I, are they, and how did they come up with them? You know, I mean, uh, well, yeah, exactly. How did they come up with them? <laughs> which which is always the interesting one. But um, I mean, I guess here in Brisbane, there's what eight or nine community stations that cover all of Brisbane, and then there's additional ones to to cover. Uh, uh, smaller parts of the suburbs as well um, and some of those are more fully um, uh, the ones that cover all of Brisbane um, are the ones that have this these uh, specific um, these specific format licenses and the ones that cover bits of the country you know smaller areas um, are a bit freer in some of the things that they're allowed to actually do can you actually um, can you petition for a new format for a new type of format does that happen where people feel like that's great that we have youth format licenses, but I really want yeah insert your format here. Yeah, and the quick answer to that is no, not really. Um, so those those formats are pretty well laid down. They're they're relatively open formats, but they are you know pretty well laid down in terms of what those what those um, you know whether those formats can be uh, changed. Um, so and that, that's I'm assuming hard... that was a political process in the in the 1970s. You were saying in yeah, Australia, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. So exactly they had some right. Constituencies um, at the time. Yeah, and you know, and uh, you know, for obvious reasons, commercial radio hate them. So, um, uh, so commercial radio don't don't allow any of the community radio stations to be in their in the the ratings. Uh, for example. Um, uh, there's various sort of fights with re- radio apps and things like that where community radio is either frozen out or made to look really bad, um, you know, so which is which is all a bit of a shame. But um, from my point of view, because we're all radio and a rising a rising tide gathers all ships, as I as I as I often say, but um, but yeah, so, you know, it's it, it it's uh, and there is also um, 
there's also an a uh, an amount of commercial content that they are allowed to carry so there's a limit i think it's 6 minutes an hour of commercial content that a radio station can actually have on the air um so there's all these sorts of weird and wonderful rules to keep commercial radio happy or to make commercial radio less sad <laughs> um, but um but it seems to work it seems to work really well and some of the audience figures that i've seen um that are pr- produced for the community radio sector but ov- obviously include every- everybody else appear to show that community radio does really well um you know there's a there's a bunch of people tuning in to those individual uh, stations where they're all volunteers you know they they're running uh, stations you know that are a great um a great sound if slightly uh, inconsistent from day part to day part um but you know a great a great enjoyable listen and it's nice to have that that difference alongside the national brands that we have here here in australia and the um you know and uh, the abc as well and can you hear these uh, Australian community radio stations on your smart speaker, on your television, uh, you know, and these other platforms as well on the internet? Yeah, um, so certainly on the internet, certainly on on the smart speaker. One of the annoying things, uh, so the local alternative station um, here in Brisbane, uh, we have call signs as well, uh, and the call sign for this one is four triple Z. Uh, now, four triple Z. If you ask a smart speaker for four triple Z, you have no chance. And I worked out that the only way of getting my smart speaker, which speaks Australian, but the only way of getting my smart speaker to tune into that particular station is if I ask for four Z Z Z. You Americans, you get everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, so that's a that's a frustration. It'll it'll <laughs> change. You know, give it give it a year or two, right? They'll figure. Yeah, that out. it'll change. It'll change eventually. You should write um, something about it, James Gridland, and I'm sure it'll change faster. I, I already have. Oh, uh, Twice. <laughs> Keep screaming <laughs> into, the, into the wind. I already have. But yeah, so, um, but yeah, so they're available on, on as many of these platforms as possible. And I think, you know, it, it's harder to get the community radio stations all walking in the same direction um, because, you know, they're all obviously run very differently. They're run by very different people. Um, but there is a benefit, and there's a Community Broadcasting Association of Australia here, and there is a benefit, obviously, in um, bringing every, everybody along and helping people, you know, helping some of the smaller stations, um, you know, understand what new technology has to offer them, yeah. We're talking with James Cridlin, radio futurologist. He is also the publisher of Pod News, podnews.net. Speaking to us from Brisbane, Australia, this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmandel. Also joining us are Jennifer Waits and Eric Klein. And, and we're, we're talking about radio sort of internationally, and, and James knows quite a bit in, about Australian radio being located in Australia right now, as well as the UK, but radio around the world, and particularly in Europe, and, and really talking about sort of what are the differences, and he's really helped highlight some some ways in which much of the world thinks about radio very differently than the way we do here in the United States or in, in much of of North America. And James, you know, I think we'd be remiss if we we didn't ask about college radio. Um, mm. And and first off, though, uh, you know, did did you do radio in college in university? 
Uh, I didn't, um, but that may have been something to do with the fact that I didn't go to university. Oh, so. my goodness. <laughs> there we go. I was, I was doing real radio by then. Really? And how, um, did, you, how did you start? How, I, did you, how were you, did you get into radio by the time that, that, that maybe you otherwise would have been in university? Well, actually, I went to a... When I was uh, 14, 15... I was uh, packed off to a boarding school, and I spent a lot of time in a boarding school in North Yorkshire in the UK, in the middle of nowhere, um, and I worked out how to build an FM radio receiver uh, and broadcast my own radio station um, uh, every weekend uh, for quite some time, uh, which was jolly good fun and highly illegal. Um, so. What did you? So what did you call your radio station and what did you play? Well, uh, so I called the radio station. It, it, um, uh, the The building that I was uh, that I was in was called Bolton House, and so I called the radio station Bolton Radio, just in case any police were listening and wanted to <laughs> come and raid me. Um, so uh, yeah, so called it Bolton Radio. What did I play? I played basically whatever other people wanted me to play, uh, but it was mostly top forty with uh, quite a lot of the Cure. Uh, and quite a lot of um, of that sort of stuff, um, Yazoo uh, and everything else. I'm really showing my age now. Um, how did, and how did you? Yeah, so I, how did you figure out how to build your station? Well, it, I mean, so the entire radio station was two um, two cassette decks. Um, because if if you're stuck in school in boarding school and you can't go out and buy music and there was no internet you know there was no music on the internet back in those days then the only way of getting new songs was to record them off the radio um, and so uh, I basically had lots and lots of cassettes of songs um, and that seemed that seemed to work I worked out how to add a microphone onto the mix um, uh, soldered my own FM transmitter up and um, and away you go. It, it ran off a nine volt battery, so you can guess how powerful it was. <laughs> I think we would, and who, we would and call that part fifteen who in the United listeners? States. <laughs> yeah, and the audience were you know the other the other uh, kids who were stuck in this boarding school as well. Yeah. Um, but there was a there was a point actually where you know you would walk up and down the you know um, uh, up and down the the uh, the the uh, the school and and my radio station was coming out of pretty well every single room and you and you'd think yeah I'm, you know this is this is a thing I'm, I'm, this is quite cool um, so yeah in glorious fm mono um, completely unprocessed as well so so uh, yes it was uh, it was an experience and so i assume there um, was no um official high school radio station at your boarding school that no. you had a lock on all of that no sadly um and uh really and there was no way of getting a license for one either um so uh n- now uh, you know back in those days now there is a way of getting a license it's a restricted service license and you can broadcast a very low power transmitter um uh, if you are in such a place um, a few university uh, radio stations uh, um, have these uh, RSLs, have these uh, licenses, which means that they're available on FM or more commonly on AM um, uh, throughout a university campus. Um, but most of them actually operate quite well through the internet, um, through internet radio. Um, so that's seemingly how... Uh, most uh, student radio works in the UK, and, and, and it's called student radio in the UK rather than college radio. I think just because of the uh, of the type of um, you know of areas where it's actually broadcast. Um, so I've spoken at a number of student radio association uh, conferences, um, 
And those are really weird because, like, in most conferences, uh, and, you know, Paul, you'll know this, in most conferences, people are, are there, but they're kind of there. In, they're, they're there physically, but uh, mentally they're busy reading through their emails on their, on their mobile phones, and they're working out who next to see and who next to buttonhole in the break and everything else. Whereas Student Radio Association... Um, uh, conferences they're there with notepads and they're there taking notes and writing things down it's a very scary scary thing <laughs> um, so uh, yeah so uh, uh, what's interesting around student radio is that it is a real feeder in the UK as, uh, um, uh, in the UK certainly it's a real feeder for uh, broadcast radio um, so both the BBC for Radio 1 and for and uh, Global Radio which is the big uh, FM uh, broadcaster there spend a lot of money in using the Student Radio Association to find them new talent to get on the air, fresh, young, new talent. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing that actually the radio companies are so involved with getting student radio stations up and going. Yeah, I've noticed that reading about um, contests in the UK where student broadcasters end up getting airtime on BBC, for example. Mm, mm. Yeah, and that, and that, which was a really clever idea. So uh, to fill up the schedules between Christmas and New Year, instead of bringing in the Radio 1 DJs uh, on the BBC, they ended up uh, inviting a ton of student radio broadcasters in to do a couple of hours here and there. My guess is that quite a lot of it was pre-recorded, uh, but, you know, why not? Um, and, you know, what a good idea to actually test and trial new talent on the air at a time when it doesn't really matter that much. Um, you know, I mean, it used to be that uh, you would test and trial new talent doing overnights, but of course, overnights is all computers now. Um, and so where do you test and trial new talent? That was a wonderful idea of actually doing it in that lull period, in that in that dead week in between a Christmas and New Year, you know, time. So um, really clever idea from the BBC. And I know that um, uh, some of the commercial networks are also considering how they do that as well so that's interesting and then about you know how there's student radio there in the uk and 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 it's fascinating and great to hear that there is a synergy between the radio industry both the bbc and the commercial industry uh supporting the you know the student radio association in the uk because i don't think mm. we see a little bit of that in the united states where we you know have a fairly large and extensive what we call college radio system but um, less well organized, and in part probably to some extent uh, just due to geographic breadth and, and so many schools that are that are relatively tiny. But you know, mm. one of the excuses given often for universities and colleges uh, shutting down their their stations is that well, these students aren't training for broadcast careers, right? That you know, they're, they're mm. not going on to radio, so why should we have this this system in place? And it seems as though um, they they still solve that problem there in, in the UK. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I think maybe that's one, that's another one of the big differences between um, the U.S. radio market and much of Europe um, and Australia is that um, there doesn't seem to be the same amount of attrition with young audiences um, in Europe and Australia. Um, there are a lot of radio stations who are doing very successfully, mostly public service stations, it has to be said, but doing very, doing very successfully in attracting a younger audience. Um, and that seems to be something that 
Um, certainly public radio in the US has no interest in and uh, in, in a very broad brush um, and it seems to be something that commercial radio as well don't necessarily see the benefit of attracting 14 year old boys tuning into their radio station because you know what, 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 what are they going to spend that money on um, so uh, and I think that that's probably a big difference between having a very vibrant public service broadcasting model whose job is to attract every age group not just over 50s but every single age group to actually tune in um, that you actually do get really good radio stations aimed at younger audiences so you know radio one being the obvious example in the uk australia runs triple j which is a new music station unlike any other I don't recognise any of the songs on there, so they must be doing something right. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, but you then have a look into continental Europe and you have, you know, um, uh, all of the, you know, in Norway, uh, Sweden, all of those public service uh, systems all have a youth radio station which is doing really well against some of the commercial, um, you know, opposition. So... That's probably something which is a good investment into the future of our industry, and it concerns me a bit that there isn't the same sort of level of focus, you know, put into that from um, from radio companies in the U.S. James, I'm I'm interested. Uh, we just heard some news this week about a U.K.-based radio company that has bought um, a U.S. brand, CMJ, which has run college radio conventions, uh, as well as a big CMJ music marathon every year, which is a music festival in New York City. So mm. a UK company, Amazing Radio, has announced that they're going to expand into the US mm. with a US radio station, and they're taking over the CMJ brand. And, and you know, I haven't heard too much about these sort of crossovers between the UK and the United States as far as radio. So... I'd be curious if you know about the story and and what your take on it I, is. I want to interrupt right before Jennifer gets to finish asking the question just to let listeners know that um, CMJ, College Music Journal, has gone through a lot of ups and downs uh, recently, all chronicled on episodes of Radio Survivor. So it's a, it, this is sort of... Um, this is an ongoing story that we cover, and now this is breaking, hmm. breaking issues. Break, that breaking the, news that I did not expect. Actually, we knew that yeah. there knew we knew there was a new owner for the brand, but um, I had not speculated that it was a UK radio company that was taking over the brand. So it's very interesting. Yeah, I, it is very interesting. I mean, Amazing Radio has been going for quite some time. It's an unsigned music radio station, um, which uh, for a while was available nationally uh, on DAB, is now available um, uh, on a few places on DAB, I believe, but also uh, obviously online. Um, and it's run by somebody who's very, very passionate in terms of new music, um, uh, you know, and everything else. So I think uh, I think that's good news. He's always been keen in expanding into the U.S. Um, and uh, you know, and certainly that's great news to keep um, to keep an organisation like that going. Um, I mean, I think the you know the wider conversation around why there isn't more cross pollination between radio stations. Um, 
uh, from Europe, from Australia and the US um, is partially to do with laws. Um, you know, uh, up until very, very recently, you couldn't own any broadcast radio station or any sizable um, shareholding. Uh, if you were foreign in the U- in the US, um, which has obviously meant that uh, folks haven't uh, folks from other countries haven't really been looking into the US in any great uh, amount, and the same is true in Canada as well. Um, so you know you've got that sort of side, but I think also. Uh, you know, there is a big difference in terms of culture. There is a big difference in terms of what people will um, listen to in the US versus uh, other countries. Um, And so, you know, I'm not sure necessarily that all of the radio that that is broadcast in the US works in other countries. And similarly, all of the radio that works in other countries won't work in the US as well. So I think that there's a, you know, a change in culture there, which is very different, by the way, to TV. You know, TV, we have the same shows um, we have the same formats we have the same channels we have the same brands everywhere in the world you know I can turn on my TV here and watch CNN and watch the, the Discovery Channel uh, and watch you know E! Entertainment and all of the big US brands um, but that doesn't happen in terms of radio at all uh, and there's probably good reasons for that hmm. James Cridlin, uh in the few minutes we have left I, I'd like to touch on podcasting because, I mean, you have been publishing pod news daily now, I think, for nearly three years, right? Yeah. And so why did you, as a radio futurologist, turn and decide that uh, you wanted to give more attention to podcasting, first of all, but also, second of all, you know, to publish a daily newsletter, which, you know, is a lot of work, <laughs> frankly, to do on a daily basis. Why? Yes. Um. Well, so firstly, why why podcasting? Um, I firstly got involved in podcasting in 2005, um, in January of 2005. So that was before Apple even put podcasts into the iPod. Um, and I managed to work out a way of taking the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show and to put that and make that available as a podcast. Um, strip out all of the songs, um, strip out some of the... Um, strip out some of the presenter breaks to leave the good ones. Um, do all of that automatically and um, broad- uh, and make that into into a podcast. And ever since then, I've I've kind of thought of podcasting as being it's an extension to radio. It's what you know, radio is really good at human connection and shared experience, and that's what podcasting is as well. Um, so I've never really seen them as being very different. Um, I think the reason why I started doing pod news was it was a conversation in a pub in Los Angeles um, uh, in the evening of the Worldwide Radio Summit, which is a very American thing of running a Worldwide Radio Summit and inviting one person, from, <laughs> not from the US, <laughs> to come along to it to make it worldwide. I'm being slightly unfair to uh, Joel there. Um, but, you know, we were having a chat in the pub afterwards and, uh, and a friend of mine was saying, you know, there is nowhere to get news and information about podcasting. Um, uh, and particularly nowhere to get that on an international scale. Mm. Um, and I thought to myself, well, that's something that I think I can do because I've been running a radio, uh, a radio newsletter, a radio trends newsletter, which is supposed to be weekly but isn't. Um, 
Uh, I've been running that for many uh, years uh, now. You can uh, you can get yours at james.crid.land, by the way. Um, and I thought, right, well, I understand how the technology works. I understand how to do a newsletter, I think. Let's see whether I can get a daily newsletter running about podcasting or whether there is enough news. And my goodness, there is. Um, it's a tremendously vibrant part of the industry. Uh, really exciting. Um, and just the amount of news and information coming out every single day of uh, happenings going on in the podcast industry has been quite fascinating to watch. You know, as a reader, I enjoy it because, in fact, because you do have an international scope. And it feels as though, and, and you can correct me, that that in some ways, if American radio doesn't have this sort of dominant, almost hegemonic presence internationally that maybe television or film does. It feels as though podcasting accomplishes in many ways. It feels as though uh, podcasting has a certain hegemony over 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 at least the English language version of the medium. Um, you know, being popular, you know, in the UK, American shows being popular in Australia, alongside, of course, shows that are that are native. To, to those countries, um, is, is, is my perception correct that maybe, you know, podcasting accomplished what American radio couldn't in terms of, 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 of finding some more dominance uh, in the audio space? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think, I think certainly, you know, it is interesting looking at the, uh, the Apple uh, podcasts uh, charts, which aren't charts, um, but it's interesting looking at those Apple podcast um, numbers and seeing that there is a lot of American content in there, um, but that there is also a substantial amount of homegrown content in there in every English-speaking country. And English-speaking, by the way, doesn't necessarily just mean Canada and the UK and Australia. It also means places like Denmark and Sweden and the Netherlands, who also speak English just just as well as you or I do. Um, uh, so from that from that point of view, it's 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 very interesting seeing that uh, content is the stuff that works. Great content, and where it's from is kind of ne- neither here nor there in terms of podcasting. Um, so it's a very level playing field in terms of geography. It's a very level playing field in terms of uh, publishers. You know, it's a really interesting place to be and quite different, I think, to the world of radio where you have to convince a program director to let you on the air, but they'll only let you on the air if you if they follow station guidelines and you follow the station music policy and and you do you know X Y and Z the way that a radio station would or indeed X Y and Z. Um, it's very different to that because you do not have any of those uh, rules, any of those structures around you, um, and I think that's what makes podcasting particularly interesting for somebody that loves radio is just finding all of these new and interesting uh, new and interesting things I mean apart from anything else you know um, audio fiction or as I would call it drama um, is doing really well at the moment particularly well over the last uh, two or three weeks oddly um, uh, as people are trying to maybe escape um, uh, current uh, g- current situations and actually have a bit more of a sort of um, you know be told uh, stories from other places, um, fiction podcasts like that 
they that used to be really big on the radio about 30 or 40 years ago um, and people used to crowd around the radio and have a listen to drama such as that uh, drama has all but disappeared from radio broadcasting in virtually every country weirdly not in the UK um, but in virtually every other country there's no more drama on the radio but drama is a big big thing in terms of um, podcasting and that I think says quite a lot to what podcasting is is actually capable of. James Cridlin, you're a radio futurologist. I have two last questions for you. The first one is, what is a radio futurologist? <laughs> well, it turns out that if you print your own business cards, you can call yourself anything you like. <laughs> um, it was either that or head of gravity, uh, which is a job that even I can't, can't mess up. Um, no, so I, 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 I've always sort of felt uh, in my dim and distant past as a radio presenter, and then working, uh, uh, and then working on the on the online side for stations. I've always felt that there's something there in terms of working out where the future is going in terms of new technology, in terms of consumption trends, in terms of all of that sort of stuff. And that's what a radio futurologist is. It helps radio broadcasters uh, understand what the future is and how to get there. And given that you're a radio futurologist and, and you're seeing into the future here, uh, you know, we keep hearing that radio is dying or, or actually radio is dead. Um, yeah. Would you please yes. take our pulse? Is, is radio dying or, or is radio imminently dead? There's, um, there's, there's a really easy way to answer that. Uh, and that's saying, no, radio is not dying. There's a bit more of a complicated one, which is that uh, radio needs to really think about where it's going. But from a consumption point of view, no, radio isn't dead at all. Nine out of 10 people still listen to the radio, not just in the US, but in every major country where they do radio research nine out of ten people listen to the radio every single week that is a tremendous tremendous number um, and radio uh, is not going anywhere soon if you look at those consumption uh, models now you can uh, a note of caution on that though radio's business model is going to have to change um, because uh, people, we haven't done a very good job of keeping our uh, price for radio commercials um, up. We haven't done a very good job of actually going out and selling it well. Um, and so I think we will need to really rethink how the the, the business model works in terms of uh, radio. Um, but is radio's consumption going to go away? Absolutely not. It's it's, um, and I think particularly at at, at the um, you know, in our current times of coronavirus, we can actually look at radio and we can see all of the benefits that radio has. Not only is it giving us news about what's going on, it's also reassuring us that there are other human beings out there. And my concern about uh, the state of the world that we're currently in is that, yes, you know, of course we want more information, but we also need information for our mental health as well. And that shared experience, that human connection that Spotify can't give you, that radio can really give you in spades, particularly radio um, of people in, in a relevant situation as you are, um, has a real impact on our mental health um, and on our ability to cope with very different lifestyles that we're cur currently having to live. Um, and I think that radio's 
position in society. Radio's point has never been more important than it is right now. James Cridlin, radio futurologist. We can find you at james.crid.land or at podnews.net. Thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Survivor. It's a great pleasure, Paul and Eric and Jennifer. Thank you so much for asking me. Show notes and a summary of today's episode is available online at radiosurvivor.com. This is episode number 242 of the Radio Survivor program, which can be heard each week at the radio station where you're currently listening or online as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's always free at radiosurvivor.com. We would love to hear from you in our listening community. You can email us comments, questions, or show suggestion ideas our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com on behalf of paul reese mandel and jennifer waits my name is eric klein thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week